Just before I turned 30, I started having panic attacks. I get a racing heart, tingly fingers and toes, kind of like they're half asleep, half buzzing out of my skin. I experience a tiny bit of tinnitus, and my head feels really full and dizzy, and I always think I'm going to pass out. My feet get really hot, so I usually try to take off my shoes if I can. I even kick them off just before I walk down the aisle. That one was mostly preventative. Like most people, when they first started happening, I thought I was having a heart attack or dying of some mysterious spontaneous disease, or about to actually implode, so that's fun. I couldn't understand their rhythm. There was zero rhyme or reason to when and why they happened, so I couldn't even get on top of them if I tried. I took myself to the ER three different times before I finally told someone about them. I'm Jenny B, and this is It Actually. This is It Actually. Hello, it's really nice that you've pushed play. Let me start by saying this was a tricky episode to put together. The irony of life is that every time I went to sit with it, I got a little tingly, and not the good tingly. I got anxious about my stories and the timeline and trying to think about where it started, and I had an internal deadline of when I wanted to have the episode to be done by. It was pretty ridiculous, actually. Most of the episodes just roll out of me because, well, they're my stories and my memories, and it's just a matter of piecing them together. I certainly don't get it right all the time, but it doesn't take a ton of effort to get my thoughts down. But this one caused me some panic, and I kept putting it off, which, of course, means I absolutely had to make it. So, here I am. I don't know if people would describe me as an anxious person. I definitely don't think I am or that I come off that way, but I do live with some anxieties that are sometimes hard to shake. They can be time of year and weather dependent. The lows of January and February tend to cause a lot more anxious type feelings in me. I've had full-on anxiety and panic attacks, and those two things are different. Anxiety symptoms come in all shapes and forms, sometimes mild, sometimes severe. They can get scarier over the course of time so they can last for what feels like ever. Panic attacks are sudden and without warning and usually go away after a shorter amount of time. I had a prescription for Xanax but never actually took it. I used to carry it in my purse and I would hold onto it every time a subway train would stop in between stations. I've talked to therapists, friends, and family members about anxiety. I've written about it and weirdly, I've actually been told that I helped a few people through their anxiety struggles. Let me be clear about something. I am not an expert. I'm only an expert in the way I feel, and sometimes sharing those feelings helps other people. And that's actually where it all started for me. If I hadn't told my girlfriend at a party in a back bedroom hiding away from the rest of the partygoers, I may have lived with it a lot longer. So there I was, working this dream job, you've heard me talk about it a lot, as the band booker on a late night talk show. I was landing amazing artists, and it was just the most fun. I had my own personal performance every day at Soundcheck, and I loved my coworkers, and I loved living in the city, and I was swinging single and eating takeout and, quite frankly, having a pretty nice life. I think I had just finished a phone call with a label rep, and I swung my chair around to look for something on the shelf behind me, and when I came back around to face forward, I felt the room move. It was like one of those psychedelic shape-shifting scenes in movies that they do to demonstrate what someone experiences when they're tripping out. It was so strange, I don't even know how else to describe it. I actually looked around the room to see if anyone else saw or felt it or if they noticed that I almost fell off my chair. They didn't, obviously, and I didn't either. I was sitting up perfectly fine. 
It took me a second to center myself, and I just chalked it up to me flipping around too quickly in my chair, but I definitely thought about it the rest of the day because it was totally different than just being dizzy. Then it started happening regularly, out of nowhere, without warning, and it became debilitating, which is all pretty sucky and unfair. I had no idea what was wrong with me, but I started coming up with little coping mechanisms. I'd take my shoes off under my desk because sometimes my feet would tingle and vibrate so badly that they'd heat up to a point of gross discomfort and I needed to take the pressure off of something. I started avoiding certain situations. I turned down invites to things that I used to love doing. I had trouble falling asleep because I was so frightened that this curse would jump me in the middle of the night and oftentimes it did. I'd wake up in a cold sweat and my heart would be pounding out of my chest and I'd run to the bathroom and put a cold cloth on my face, staring in the mirror, trying to talk myself off the ledge. I'd sob and ask why and what is happening and on those really scary dark occasions, I drove myself to the hospital. On top of all of that, I was experiencing terrible claustrophobia. I could only ride on the first or last subway car so I could envision myself getting out if we ever got stuck in the tunnel. I needed to ride on subways that weren't full, and living in a city of three and a half million people, well, that proved to be kind of difficult, so there was usually an additional 30 to 45 minutes tacked onto my commute time just standing and letting packed trains go on by. I eventually started walking to work, and although it took me about an hour and 20 minutes, it ended up being kind of the same amount of time with all that platform waiting, plus I wasn't racing through the dark in a long steel tube at god knows how many miles per hour. So all of these little coping mechanisms equaled everything and anything that I could do to relieve the feeling of being stuck or boxed in. Even if that was something as small and simple as taking my shoes off under my desk, well, I was going to do it. I think it went on for almost a year before I said anything to anyone. If I close my eyes, I can totally see that girl just struggling to make sense of her body that was seemingly failing her. I was embarrassed by my symptoms, I didn't really know how to explain them, and I kind of thought it was something I was doing to make it happen, which sounds completely crazy, but I had no other explanation. So my friends were having a Halloween party, or maybe it was Christmas, I don't quite remember, and I did everything in my power to get out of going, but there was really no good reason, and the truth was, I wanted to go. I wanted to feel normal and fun again, and I wanted to be around people, but man, was I scared. I had exit plans in place, and I was going to avoid any corner that would leave me feeling, well, cornered. I was going to stick with the people I knew best, and I was also bringing a date, one of my long-term friends that I'd known since high school. We got in and said our hellos, and I was on high alert for anything that could possibly set me off, which is hilarious because I literally had no idea what set me off. I really don't remember much about that night. What I do remember was having a massive meltdown. I felt like my skin was coming off my body and everyone looked kind of wobbly and warped to me. With anxiety, it's fight or flight and I'm definitely a flight risk, so I just quietly walked myself down the hall to the bedroom without telling anyone. I probably looked normal on the outside, but inside I felt like I was suffocating. I remember sitting on the bed surrounded by everyone's coats and my friend came to find me. She sat down on the bed beside me and asked if I was okay. That was it. The floodgates opened. Up until that point, I hadn't given anyone the opportunity to ask me that. I started crying and I tried to tell her what was happening to me. I said I was scared and that I thought I was dying. She listened to me and held my hand and then super casually said, yeah, so I think you've got anxiety. Sorry, what? She told me a story about when she was nannying in England the year before and she was out with the kids and all of a sudden felt like she was having a heart attack. She felt like she was going to fall over. 
I cannot tell you how relieved I was to have someone say they actually knew what I was going through, that it was a thing, not just my body being possessed. I thought back to other moments in my life that were probably also panic, and it all started to make so much sense. I remembered sitting in philosophy class at university, and it felt like the walls were closing in on me. I couldn't concentrate. The prof's words were all jumbled. I figured it had just been too long since I'd been in school and I was having some kind of adverse reaction to learning. When my first real boyfriend broke up with me, I was walking home from his place through a park and everything became super bright and almost fluorescent and my heart was racing. And then just regular moments where I'd suffer through an awful feeling in a crowd because I had nowhere to go. There's a line in Seinfeld, the Serenity Now episode, where Jerry, who is famously pretty self-centered and, let's face it, kind of a dick, actually has feelings for the first time ever, and he's shocked by his own tears when his girlfriend breaks up with him. Elaine asks him if he's crying, and he yells, This is horrible. I care. As silly as it may seem, I think that some anxiety sufferers tend to overcare if there is such a thing. Again, not an expert. But wouldn't it be great if it was just that simple? Like, I care so much about so many things that I'm just going to spiral over here for a minute and then I'll snap out of it and just be cool with the fact that I'm the kind of person who likes to prop the weight of the world's worries right onto my shoulders. If only. I think doubt and insecurity also play a huge part in anxious feelings because that's the whole thing with being all up in your head. It is for me anyway. I overthink, overanalyze. I want to fix every single one of the Earth's problems in a timely manner and ideally all before I go to bed so I can get a good night's sleep. Anxiety girl, able to jump to the worst conclusions in a single bound. I've come a long way from that girl hiding in the coats. I figured out how to manage myself when I get blindsided by panic. I still have small coping mechanisms. Pre-pandemic, I would do my best to sit on the edge of the row at concerts and plays, never get boxed in. I've been able to set boundaries for meetings, and I'll simply excuse myself from any situation that feels volatile for me. Now, sometimes that's impossible. I remember a few weeks after my mom died, I was driving home from her house late at night, and my girls had fallen asleep. It was quiet, and I was listening to music, and I looked in the rearview mirror and was smiling at their heavy breathing, and all of a sudden, I felt solely responsible for the two humans in the back seat. Which is so silly, because I was also solely responsible for them before my mom had died, but all of a sudden, it felt different. I was in the middle lane with cars and trucks on either side, and my hands were on fire. I knew what was happening to me, so I slowed my breathing and concentrated on the road ahead and how long it would be until I got us home. Sometimes it's just about counting the minutes. For me, feeling safe is super important. Surrounding myself with people who care about me unconditionally, asking for space and removing myself from things that I think just won't make me feel good has been pretty helpful. And I think settling with the fact that it's okay to be vulnerable. I definitely used to internally think that it was a weakness. And it's cool to want to be strong and able, but it's also important to need to feel protected, and when your net seems shaky, it's okay to try and save yourself in whatever way you know how. Someone wrote, be where your feet are. I think about that a lot. Presence is all we have. I used to look to other people to ground me, and that's totally fine. We need our networks, but we also need ourselves. Just think, you are here, in this moment, right on top of your feet. Be there. Let the big feelings exist and then let them go. It's okay to overcare. The world wouldn't be the same if you didn't. Just breathe. It was two and a half years ago that my husband was taken hostage by a group of inmates at the facility he worked at as a corrections officer. The longest four hours of my life followed. Complete and utter 
helplessness. All the worst case scenarios running through my mind. It was basically four hours of an out-of-body experience. Me just watching myself sit there, frozen, catatonic. By the grace of God and the amazing work of the negotiator, he was released. His physical injuries, minimal. But the PTSD would drastically change the life and the husband I had known for the 12 years prior. The anxiety was quick to set in. At first, it disguised itself as hypervigilance that was mostly focused around him. Did he have everything he would need and was everything in place for him to have a quote-unquote good day? Knowing that he was having trouble sleeping meant I had trouble sleeping. I was consumed by trying to make sure that I controlled everything to try and avoid any uneasiness. But it would take me about a year to realize that as time passed, the anxiety wouldn't. A phone call from an unknown number, an unanswered call or text to my husband, or my least favorite, getting a text that says, call me when you can. Those and so many other things can send my anxiety skyrocketing. Now it manifests in other ways, like trying to micromanage not only my life, but literally everything around me. We'll be invited out somewhere, but I'll need to know what the plans are, who will be there, how long is it going until... Anything and everything that I can know so that I can control as much as I can. It makes things like being gone for more than a couple hours so stressful because I will be panicked the entire time thinking that something I didn't foresee or couldn't control will happen and that I'll come home to an unsettled household. It means I check the doors twice before going to bed. It's me now being the lightest sleeper because I am ready for when the nightmares come and I need to comfort him. Luckily, those don't happen that often anymore. The two things that help the most are writing down my fears and talking about them. That hasn't been an easy realization though. It would take a random conversation with a family member to finally give me the validation I didn't know I was waiting on. The validation to acknowledge that I had my own side to this story and to feel comfortable sharing it. The connection I have found in others has made the difficult moments worthwhile. As someone who is always wanting to seem like I have it all together, honoring the messiness of this journey has been hard, but it has also been the best thing I could have ever done. The day after me and my longtime boyfriend broke up, I got my first really bad panic attack. I was sitting at work and I just started sweating really badly and I started to get really nauseous. I told my boss I need to leave. So I went home and it just kept getting worse. I felt really dizzy. I tried to take a shower and felt like I was going to pass out. My hands were tangling all over. I finally called my friend and said, I need to go to the hospital. I think I'm dying. She rushed over, took me to the hospital. And this whole time I was just building, building. And when I finally got to the hospital, I was hyperventilating so badly that my hands stopped working. The person checking me in at the hospital was like, you have to calm down. You just need to breathe. It was one of the scariest things I think I've ever experienced to watch your hands just kind of stop working for a second. When they finally took me back into the ER and, um, you know, the nurse came to check my pulse, I was just sitting there and my pulse was at 125. The doctor came in and he, you know, explained to me, you're having a panic attack. This can happen when you have really severe life changes or things drastically change for you in a matter of 
a short time. That was great to be reassured in that regard. But I, you know, I went home from there and I couldn't let go of that feeling of what it was like to to go through that whole experience. And it really set off a, a really horrible anxiety spiral for me. I was living in a constant fight or flight mode. I was constantly scanning my body for any types of feelings or sensations that mimicked that panic attack. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I found a sensation that truly mimicked it. And so of course I would make myself have another panic attack. It took me years to figure out that in order to get past really high anxiety and to live with it, you have to be comfortable sitting in your uncomfortable feeling. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, that's so much easier said than done. Truthfully, it probably is. But when you do learn to let your body shake or let the adrenaline run its course, um, eventually it starts to subside. And so the next time that situation happens, you don't feel it quite as intensely and your thoughts aren't quite as intrusive or aggressive. And it takes time in practice and quite honestly, hard work, but it does get better. And I think that that's something that's really important for people to understand that are going through this is that it will get better. I promise you it does. It might feel like you don't know if you can get out of this right now, but you will get out of it and you will be able to live carefree without anxiety being ever present on your mind and on your body and it will get better. My wife and I love to travel. We basically plan our entire year around a big trip to somewhere new. We take turns with one of us doing most of the research and planning, while the other will weigh in with their opinions, some insights or articles they found, and at some point, the necessary guardrails to make sure that whoever is doing the planning doesn't pack our agenda too tight in an effort to see everything. The thing is, my wife has horrible anxiety, especially around flying. So while I get more and more excited as the days count down to a trip, her mood goes the opposite way. First, she loses sleep then her appetite, and as the days go by, her hands, which are usually strangely warm even in winter, become coated in a clammy film that means holding hands is really only allowed when there's a dishcloth or towel or something nearby to chaperone. The day of the flight is a precisely choreographed experience with sips of water, the resulting bathroom breaks, a weird full-body jelly shake move to expel anxious energy, and the well-calibrated use of medication, all timed perfectly with the arrival of our cab, the checking in of baggage, and the boarding of the flight itself. My excitement is, of course, completely overwhelmed by this, and the day of any flight for me is just an effort to not say anything that could have the remote chance of having any emotional charge. The trap I fall into most often is usually as the drugs are kicking in when I say something like, you know, maybe I should hold the passports. I've had to chase down a cab in Vietnam to grab bags that were left behind, plead with flight attendants in Sydney to move us further up in the plane where it's less bumpy, and let people pass us by in line in Colombia while waiting for Michelle to get back from the bathroom. Most notably, I've had to give up on the pre-trip excitement that I would usually experience. What I get in return, however, is a partner who will put herself through all of this so we can go away together, and to bear witness to the strangest rush of emotions, part exhaustion, relief, excitement, and affection, all at the moment those wheels hit the tarmac. The day that anxiety finally hit me square in the face was with my very first panic attack. Sure, up until this point, I was a type A perfectionistic worrier. But if you had asked me if I had anxiety, I would have answered, no way. 
I was in my mid-20s and certainly still naive to the fact that my high-achieving personality could affect my everyday life and cause me physical symptoms. I was traveling downtown on the train to go to nursing school. On this particular day, I was coming down with a bit of a cold, so I took an over-the-counter cough medication so that I wouldn't be coughing or disrupting fellow train passengers. As the train left the station, I realized that I had left my phone at my parents' house. I remember immediately thinking, oh no, what if I need to get a hold of someone or if I need help for some reason? I'm a worrier. I felt my stomach sink immediately, but somehow, and I'm guessing it had to do with the slightly sedating cough medication, my worried mind was overruled and I fell fast asleep. I woke up just in time to hear, welcome to Toronto's Union Station. Even in my groggy state, I knew I felt funny. The cough medication was clearly in full force. The sensations began to worsen. My heart began to thud loudly in my chest. I could almost feel the blood running through my arms and my legs. But the scariest part of it was that I felt like I was in a dream world. As I walked through the busy train station, the hustle of hundreds of nine to fivers seemed like they were moving in slow motion. The room was spinning. I couldn't tell if I was walking the right way or if I was about to fall over. Panic ensued. A couple of firefighters happened to cross my path and I mustered up the courage to walk up to them and tell them that I wasn't feeling well. They helped me sit down and put some oxygen on me as I waited for an ambulance to come and to take me to the emergency room. Now the funny thing is, as soon as I knew someone was there to help me, the scary physical sensations slowly began to subside. By the time I got to the emergency room, I was feeling much more like myself again. I spoke to a social worker who kindly suggested that I may have been having a panic attack. I pushed her potential diagnosis to the side and left the hospital with the idea that all of this was caused by a cough medication that I would absolutely never be taking again. In the coming days though, this terrifying feeling and its accompanying sensations would show up unannounced. In the outside world, these scary feelings could show up any time just as they had at the train station. I convinced myself that I should stay home as much as possible. The fear and anxiety began to cage me in. Even to this day, the weeks surrounding my initial panic attack were some of the hardest and scariest days with my anxiety. I struggled with the shame of having a diagnosis. I put on a facade to the rest of the world that everything was fine because I was too afraid and embarrassed of what others would think of me if I let on that I was struggling with my mental health. Now, it may sound cheesy, but looking back on this time, I now see myself as a warrior instead of a worrier. I freaking battled through these tough days, my high achieving personality serving me well. And I never thought I would say this, but I'm so grateful for now being able to show up as my true self. No longer ashamed of me or my struggles with my mental health, but rather learning to take comfort in knowing that so many other people out there struggle with these thoughts and these feelings just like I do. This is a tip, actually. I used to worry about how people would react to my anxiety, so I tried to squish it down, which usually had the reverse effect and it would pile on top of itself and then usually cause me more panic. Deep down, I knew that people would want to help, but how was I supposed to explain something that I didn't really understand myself? That seems super hard, but I know for certain that my healing began when I started talking about it. This is 20 years later, and we are talking about it, and so many people open up about their experiences, and so many of them are the same. There truly is strength in numbers. 
On that note, thank you to Daniela, Carolyn, Shan, and Elise for sharing their very personal and powerful stories. Living with anxiety can sometimes make you feel like you're living completely alone. But opening up to my girlfriend that day and hearing that she had struggled too was a game changer for me. I hope that hearing these stories helps just one person feel like they are seen. Geez, February is short, hey? Thank goodness, though. I hate to completely discount two months of the year, but man, those first two are not my favorites. If you know anyone that would be interested or a good fit in sponsoring an episode, I'm currently adding some of my favorite places and shops and brands to the roster. You or they can find me at thisisitactually on Instagram or email me at thisisitactually at gmail.com. I hope you have a beautiful day. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually, take a sip and grab a seat, cause this is it.